Sometimes it's an obscure pasuk in the Torah that shows us the depth of what every part of Torah has to teach. In this case, what it teaches us about weakening the impurities of this world in order to bring more Kedusha into the world. The pasuk is towards the end of Parashas Matois. It's the last pasuk in our parasha, which says, that There was a man called Noivach, and he went and conquered a place called Knos and its surrounds. And then it says, He called the place Noivach, naming it after himself. Rashi, Rashi says there's a grammatical anomaly about this pasuk. Says Rashi, According to grammar, it should have said with a dot in the hay, meaning he called the place, which is a feminine place, the dot is missing. Rashi wants to know why. So Rabbi Moshe Adarshan apparently explains, Rashi quotes, It's because the name didn't stick. Therefore, the hay is a soft hay, not the harsh ha. The hey. Now there, it, if you say the word la without the la, it actually sounds a little bit like the word loy, as if to say, it wasn't really called noivach after him. So that's how Rashi quotes Rabbi Moshe HaDarshan. And then he has a question, because there are two other places in Tanakh where you find the same thing. And he says, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to make of it. What would Rabbi Moshe HaDarshan explain with two other words in Tanakh that are similar? One is, where the Pasuk says that he, Boyaz, said to her, Rus, and it doesn't say, La, as it should. And the other one is Livnois Labayis, which is a very intriguing uh, metaphoric pasuk in Zechariah that says to build for it a house, and we'll come back to see what exactly that's about. So that's Rashi's question. You've got other places where Loi is written without the, the dot, and if it's supposed to be similar to Loi, how would you explain those? So now, there's a few questions we have to analyze over here. Number one, Aleph, Im Sviralei Rashi. If Rashi is effectively telling us, Shapirish Rabbi Moshe Adarashon, that effectively what he's saying is Rabbi Moshe Adarshan's explanation doesn't really fit with the Pshat, because look, there are two other places where it doesn't work. You see, two other places with law without the Mapike, and you can't explain them in a way that would suit the Pshat. So then the obvious question is, why would... Uh, Rashi have quoted Rabbi Moshe Adarshan in the first place. Rashi is always looking to explain the simplest explanation of the Pasuk. If he feels that Rabbi Moshe Adarshan's explanation is not so close to Pshat, don't quote it at all. So Rashi could have said over here, as we find Rashi does in many places across Tanakh, he could just simply say, I don't know why this word is said in this particular way or what it means. Which would imply not that Rashi doesn't understand the word, but that he doesn't understand the specific meaning of the word in Pshat, which is what Rashi wants to explain. He could have done the same over here. Maybe there's a, a, a mystical explanation or a midrashic explanation, but according to Pshat, I don't know how to explain why there's no dot in the hay according to Pshat. Maybe there's explanations elsewhere. Because the reality is that very often what you quote from Gemorrahs or from Midrashim is not exactly aligned with Pshat. It's quite common for Rashi not to quote those explanations because his objective is to explain 
Pshat. So, why, if Rashi feels Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan has left a big gaping question about how you explain the Pshat of this same style of word in other places in Tanakh, then don't quote him at all. Say, that's Drash, it's not for my commentary, and for the, I, don't know, I don't know how you explain this according to Pshat. Number two, base. A technical question. How come when Rashi quotes the two other places in Tanakh, first he quotes the one about Boyas, which is written in Megillah Rus, which is Bichsuvim, in the third section of Tanakh, and then only after that he quotes the other Pasuk, which is in the prophecies of Zechariah, which is Benevim, in the second section of Tanakh. Why does Rashi quote them not in line with the order of how they appear in Tanakh? In Tanakh, of course, Nevi'im precedes Ksuvim. Third question, and this is not a question in isolation, it's such a question which is asked by the Ramban himself. But Medrash Rus, if you have a look at the Medrash on Rus, <clears throat> there Yashon Drashos, the Medrash Rus there explains Firstly, the Pasuk, as it appears in Rus, why is without a dot in the hay. And it also explains an explanation why in Zechariah does not have a dot in the hay. As well as the one which relates to our parasha, that he called the city Noivach, where the Medrash says exactly what Rashi has quoted from Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan, Shaloi Omadlo Oisei Hashem, that this name Noivach didn't stick, it didn't last. So the Medrash on Rus gives reasons why the dot is missing in both of those other Pesukim. So if it's written in a Medrash, why would Rashi say, I don't know how Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan would explain these two Pesukim? Well, maybe he'd explain it as the Medrash does. What's the big question? Now, it'd be really far-fetched to say, well, maybe Rashi never saw that Medrash in Rus. Look at what the Rambam, Rambam says in his great question. He's, he's perplexed. How could somebody who has such an encyclopedic knowledge of every area of Torah miss that Medrash that is kind of well known and say, I don't know how Rabbi Moshe Adarshan is going to explain it. Now this question, is actually an even bigger question than it appears at first, because, as the Ramban says, look in the Gemara, in Sanhedrin, there the Gemara also analyzes an explanation for the word law without the dot in the hay, why in Zechariah the word law is without a hay, and there the Gemara goes into quite a bit of detail and explains, Shahakosov, it's a metaphoric pasuk in Zechariah. And the Gemara Sanhedrin explains what the metaphor is. So if you look in the context of what Zechariah is describing over there, it's this metaphor of these two women who move to this place, to this, uh, to this uh, area, and then this individual built them a house. So it doesn't say them, it says two people moved, and one of them built a house, says the Gemara. Who are these two people? Chanufa, which is flattery, and Gassasaruach, which is arrogance, and they both went to Bovel. Says the Gemara, 
The fact that it doesn't have a dot in the hay of Livnois, law by says the Gemara, that's to teach us, that when arrogance entered Bavel, it did not remain there permanently. Because it taka originally settled in Bavel, but then subsequently it moved further afield and it landed up in a different civilization called Elam. Now that's very much like our explanation, how Rashi explains our Pasuk. Noivach was not a permanent name. There the Gemara says that the Gasu Saruach, the arrogance of Bavel, was not a permanent state. It moved on. Rashi should be able to quote that. Now, if you have a look at what Rashi says over there in the Gemara, maybe that will solve for why he doesn't quote it, because Rashi's commentary on the Gemara in Sanhedrin, he says, Rashi actually says, how do we extrapolate out of those words to build for her a house? Teaches us that Gasa Saruch moved from Babel and landed up in Elam, it's not because the, there's a missing dot in the hay, and but rather because there's a change from addressing a plural group at the beginning of the pasuk to la addressing a an individual later in the pasuk. In other words, what, what's Rashi saying there in his commentary on the Gemara? He says, because earlier on the pasuk in Scharia says vine shtayim noshim. There were two women. Again, the women are metaphoric to represent flattery and arrogance. And they came into this place. So there it addresses them in the plural. So if it's a plural expression, it must relate to at least two things that came to Babel, which is what the Pasuk is talking about. What are those two things? The Gemara tells us, flattery and arrogance. And then the pastor continues to address the singular that they were going to build for her, for one individual, this house. So Rashi, in his interpretation of the Gemara, tells us that implies when it came to building a house, building a house represents permanence. So when it, what is going to be permanent in Bavel? Only flattery would be permanently established in Bavel. Whereas arrogance moved a field and landed up in Elam. Okay, so maybe it's not such a question that Rashi on our Pasuk would explain Noivach is not a permanent name because of the law, but perhaps he feels differently about Livlois Lobayus because he learns it from the context of the Pasuk rather than from the missing dot in the hay. Says the Rebbe, Yet, even if you were to argue that, Rashi would not have this big question, like he's surprised. I'm surprised what would Rabbi Moshe HaDarshan explain about that Pasuk? Whatever reason it is that Rashi, when he was explaining the Gemara, did not want to use law without the dot as the proof that arrogance moved on to Elam, that's Rashi's perspective. It's quite possible that Rabbi Moshe Hadashim would be happy to say that it's the missing dot in the hay. Why is Rashi saying, I don't know how he would explain it? It'd be fair to say, I wouldn't explain it that way. 
But what's Rashi's great surprise and how would he, Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan, explain it? So we need to understand why is it that in, even though there are places that tell us very clearly why or how to explain the law without a dot in those other psukim, and at least one of them is pretty similar to ours, that it's not a permanent name, why is Rashi so absolutely sure that it makes no sense that Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan would be able to apply the same explanation that he uses here to those psukim quoted there? Okay, let's explain what's going on over here. One thing that the Rebbe has taught us multiple times is, even on those occasions where Rashi will quote something from Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan, from a Medrash, from a Gemara, in other words, from the part of Torah which is not Pshat, if Rashi does quote them, that means that they must in some way be quite close to the simplest understanding of the Pesukim. Of Eloshin Rashi, as the expression Rashi often uses is Agado. So Agado means that it's from the world of Drash. Hamiyashevis Divra Mikro, which comes to explain the words of the of the Pasuk, Dava Dabra al Oifnov, in the simplest, clearest way possible. Whereas if there is an explanation from elsewhere in Torah that doesn't in any way fit with the Pshat, in Rashan Rashi is not going to quote them, which we actually mentioned earlier on already. So therefore, we can understand in our context, the fact that Rashi did quote somebody from the world of Drush, Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan, to explain how Noivach's city was not a permanent name because of the missing dot in the hay. It must be because in this context, what Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan says is very close to the easiest, simple understanding of the Pasuk. And then when Rashi continues to say, I'm really surprised how would Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan explain the other two places in Tanakh with the same grammatical anomaly. Rashi is not suggesting that there are no explanations at all anywhere in Torah for those words without a dot in the hay. All Rashi is saying is, you can't explain the missing dot in the hay of law in those psukim using the same approach that we're using in this pasuk, namely, in those psukim, I'm not going to be able to find a way to darshan the pasuk that is close to pshat, as I'm doing over here. Because yes, there are Midrashim and there's a Gemara Sanhedrin that gives explanations for the word law in both of those Psukim. But they're quite different to what the Pshat would be. So they're great for a Medrash, they're great for a Gemara. It's not what Rashi is going to use. As we'll explain later in the Sicha. So that will help us to understand the precise choice of language that Rashi uses. He says, I'm surprised. How would he explain these psukim? He doesn't say, I have a difficulty, I have a kashya, I have a major issue with what he has said. Because the truth is, 
Rashi doesn't actually have anything to contradict with or to have a big issue with what Rabbi Moshe Hadarshan has explained, certainly not in our Pasuk. He's just expressing surprise. The surprise is, I wonder how he would explain the other two places in Tanakh aligned with Pshat. It's quite possible. Perhaps the way to explain the other two places in Tanakh where law is written without a dot in the hay will be using a completely different approach to what we're using here. For which reason, those explanations may not suit the simplest understanding of the Pasuk. Because we could say, as we've taught elsewhere, here we're talking about a Pasuk in Chumash. There we're talking about Pasukim in Nevim and Ksuvim. And when you're dealing with Tanakh, what will Nach? There are many psukim that simply can't be explained simply. <laughs> you can't explain them according to pshat. Which is different to chumash. Where you can always explain a pasuk according to pshat. Because the goal of chumash is to be pshat and then layers beyond that. Whereas nach sometimes starts at a layer that is beyond the pshat. So therefore Rashi Toma, so Rashi's wondering, utmehani, what kind of an explanation would Rabbi Moshe Hadashan give on the other two occasions where you have law which, without the dot, without the mapic It's almost like Rashi's wondering, would he be able to come up with an explanation that is close to the Pshat? which would make them somewhat similar to the explanation on our Pasuk here in Chumash, that law implies it's not something of permanence. Or is it possible that all that Rabbi Moshe Hadashim would be able to explain, like in the Medrash and the Gemara, the only way perhaps to explain the law in those Pesukim will have to exclude a Pshat explanation, in which case it would not be similar at all to our case, our Pasuk over here in Chumash. That's what's, so to speak, on Rashi's mind. <clears throat> is it going to be possible to find an explanation for those two Psukim that is similar to the Pshat? Okay, so let's understand. So in order for us to understand what Rashi's big concern is over here, we have to understand, as Divrei Rashi, the language or the way that Rashi said it. What did Rashi say? He said, La In this Pasuk, the word La is written without the dot in the hay, so it's not pronounced with that strength of a La, but rather La, a softer word, which you could darshan to explain that actually it sounds similar to the word Loi, meaning what is stated is actually not what lands up happening, at least not in the long run. So, Bashkofari First glance at what Rashi is telling us, Rashi will imply that Rashi's intention is, that when you actually read that Pasuk, you should read it, he called it, a name that did not last as Noivach. Which would mean that in the long term, the name of this city is not Noivach in the long term, because the name didn't, didn't stick. Didn't take. 
That's how we would think Rashi is telling us to read the Pasuk. So instead of reading it, he called it Noivach. Read it, he gave it a name. The name Noivach did not last. Now, if that is what Rashi is trying to say, that would be a big problem because of who mikra. Because then Rashi would be telling us to interpret the Pasuk in a way that is the exact opposite of what the Pasuk is saying at face value. In other words, they would be saying that Rashi is teaching us an interpretation of the Pasuk that goes directly against how he comes to teach Psukim. He tells us clearly, my only job over here is to explain the Pshat. So why on earth then would he be explaining something which is not only not the Pshat, but is the opposite of the Pshat? Because when you read the Pasuk at face value, what does it mean? To show us or to teach us. The Pshat is, Noivach named this city after himself, i.e. the name of the city was Noivach. So what is Rashi telling us? Rashi is being very precise here and, say, and says, that when you analyze this Pasuk one notch deeper, it implies something like loy. He's not suggesting that the actual meaning of the word is loy. In other words, he's telling us that the fact there's no dot in the hay, and you don't say la in the normal grammatical way, that alludes to the fact What's in the Pasuk? Something which is softer than usual, weaker than usual. The Torah is alluding to the fact that what is being described over here is flimsy. Yes, Noivach called the city Noivach. Pshat. That's what happened. That's why the Pasuk doesn't say the word loy, because he did call it Noivach. But the way he called it Noivach was quite flimsy and weak. Because the reality is the name did not stick. It did not last. So what's Rashi telling us? The Pshat is true. He gave it this name. Beyond the Pshat, one notch deeper, there's a Medrash that is close to the Pshat. The fact that the Torah does not use the normal grammar over here and does not put a mapik hey in the word law, that's so we'll recognize that there's something weak about what the Torah is telling us. He did give the name, but it's a weak name. Now that we know how Rashi is looking at the Pasuk, read the Pshat, accept the Pshat, and then weaken the Pshat by this hint of the missing Mapik Hay, you cannot use the same logic in the Pasuk about Rus and Boyaz. Why not? Because when Megillas Rus Shom, you've got to look at the context over there, Megillas Rus. What's happening over here is that Rus has addressed Boyaz and said, I, I'm not even worthy of being one of your maidservants. I, I don't even deserve to be, I'm, I'm not even of the caliber of your maidservants. It's in response to that statement where Rus is saying, I'm a nobody. Boyaz says, Boyaz. To that Boyaz says, no. When it's time for, for the meal, 
You come join me and you eat. In other words, he is emphasizing that she actually does have prestige. So now the Medrash says, if that's the case, why does the La Leloi Mapik Hay, why is there a missing dot, a missing Mapik Hay in La in that Pasuk? Says the Medrash, Sheboyaz Hay Shivla. That Boyaz responded as follows Has Visholim, Ain Atminho Amohis Shvochois. He was saying, you're not one of the maidservants. She was saying, I'm not even one of the maidservants. And he was saying, you're not a maidservant. But you're somebody of the caliber of the great matriarchs of Judaism. In other words, the Medrash is telling us, that when she said, I don't want to, uh, uh, I don't want, uh, when she said, I don't feel like I'm even like a maidservant of yours, hey, she boy has la, loy, boy said, no, don't think that way. Loy the facts are not as you describe them. So there, the Medrash is saying an interpretation that is the opposite of Pshat. So that Medrash cannot in any way align with the Pshat. You can't do what Rashi is doing over here to say, well, actually the word is law and it really was a name, but it's just weakened. Because over here, Boyaz is making a strong statement, not a weak statement. You're not a maidservant. So therefore, this style of explaining that law means it's exactly what the Pasuk says, just weaker, well, in Boyas's case, it's not weaker. It's exactly what Boyas says with the full force of saying, you're a great woman. And we can use a similar approach to explain the Pasuk in Zechariah. Yes, it's true that the Pasuk alludes to the fact that the arrogance that entered Bavel was temporary, so therefore it's weaker. It was not something sustained in that environment because, as the Gemara tells us, in Sanhedrinish Tarvuvi Lohasam, it eventually migrated all the way to Elam. But what's the Pshat of the Pasuk? When the Pasuk says to build for her a house, it's not talking about arrogance at all because it's speaking about one, the one of the two elements that came to Babel that will remain permanently, we're now addressing that one, which is which is only about flattery. As we already saw, Rashi points out in his commentary on the Gemara. The fact that the Pasuk switches to the singular and does not use a plural term to them as the Pasuk had already been using prior to this, Muchach, that Rashi says, is clear evidence that the Pasuk, when it's talking about building this house, is only addressing a house for one of the elements discussed. Only flattery. Because flattery did not migrate to Elam. But rather it remained a permanent feature of the Babylonian culture. If that's true, so it wouldn't be logical to say, now that we see the switch from plural to singular, that already excludes Gassus Aruach. And now we're only doing with, dealing with Hanufa, which is strong in Babel, 
it wouldn't make any sense now to say the la without the mapike means it's weak. That goes exactly against the pshat. So therefore, Rashi has this big question. The style of explaining that the word la should be read aligned with the pshat and also a little bit weaker because it's missing a mapike only works in our pasuk and would make no sense according to pshat in the other two psukim. But it's not as straightforward as that because the fiadrash medrash rus. Let's have a look what the Medrash Rus says about the Pasuk. Our Pasuk, Lifnois Lo Bayis, when it speaks about building the home in the singular for her, Merames Ala Sheker Deshinar Bovel. The Medrash says that's referring to what? What would be permanent in Bovel? Deceit. Sheker. Falsehood. Velo, Leloma became a lava chain of Sheker Teshua. And there the Medrash says, why is law written without a mapik hey? Because the nature of Sheker is, it can't really be helped, meaning to say, as the expression goes, Sheker in Loraglaim, it doesn't last. Ah, so if you go with that Medrash, Rashi could have quoted that Medrash. It's actually quite similar to how Rashi explains our Pasuk of Yehon Matos. That yes, there is falsehood that would be part and parcel of Babylonian culture forever. But it's always going to be weak. Why? Because falsehood can never endure. So it will be part of their culture, but by definition, it will never be lasting. Why doesn't Rashi quote that Medrash? And then not have to have this big Tumay honey. I, I don't know how you're going to explain it. Well, at least I have one Pasuk that I could explain along the same lines of how we've explained our Pasuk. And that would actually fit just as well with the way Rashi explains the Gemara there in Sanhedrin, where he said, where he said the one thing that will be of permanence in Babel is flattery. Well, flattery and falsehood are not contradictions. Because flattery is fundamentally false. Rashi actually explains, what does Chanufa mean, flattery? That they display themselves, they portray themselves as if they're these amazing people who live beyond the requirement of the law. In the meantime, they're rogues. So, Abir Boze, the explanation for that is, Im Noimar, Shebetevas lo lo mapikei, Kavonas akosav, Lerames al if it's true that every single time that the Torah, well, there's three times in total, that the Torah says law without the mapikei, it always means that whatever is being described is in a weakened state. And then in this case, we'd say, that in this pasuk, it's referring to either flattery or falsehood that are fundamentally weak because they don't last because people eventually see through it. That would raise another question. Why is that something that we would emphasize specifically with regards to flattery? And not something we'd say about arrogance. In fact, there's even a logical reason to say it would specifically refer to arrogance. You see, once you go down this route and you say there is a bad trait that became part of Babylonian society, but it's a weakened trait because the nature of falsehood slash flattery is that it cannot endure. Well, if you're already going that way, say... The gases haruach, the arrogance that came into Babel, did come into Babel, just in a really weak state, so weak that it eventually moved on elsewhere.
But the fact that the Pasuk says law, which as Rashi has pointed out, is singular. That tells me we're only focused on one element that is descri- described in this Pasuk. That one element me being Chanufa, flattery, because that's the one element that remained part of the Babylonian culture. So Muchach, that indicates us from Rashi's own interpretation of the, pos- uh, of the Gemara in Sanhedrin. It's not teaching us over here in this particular context that there's a weakness to flattery or falsehood. We'll learn that elsewhere, but that's not what this Pasuk is teaching us. Dafka, the Pasuk over here, is describing that which became permanently part of Bavel, i.e. flattery. Unlike the arrogance which passed through and ended up in Elam. So now we get it. I'll pick all and I'll move on Gamatam. So what do we get now? We understand that Rashi is looking for an explanation where the Midrashic perspective will dovetail with a Pshat. And we only find it in our case. He did give it a name, Neubach, but La, without the Mapikei, tells me it's a weak name. That line of reasoning is not going to apply to the other two psukim. With that, we can understand the order in which Rashi quotes those two psukim. We can understand why Rashi first brought a proof or referenced the psuk from Ksuvim, from Megillas Rus, before Zechariah, which is an unusual order. Because my psuk, when you look at the psuk in Megillas Rus, where Boyaz addresses Rus, as we've already discussed, the Midrashic perspective is in contrast to the Pshat perspective. As we already said before, the Midrash is that when Boya said law, he was actually saying loy. It's not as you say. Don't demean yourself. You're a great person. That's why Rashi first, because what's Rashi saying? Honey, I don't know how you're going to explain it. So here's the first place that you definitely cannot explain it according to Pshat, because the Midrash is the opposite of Pshat. So that comes first. It is much more distant from the simplest explanation of the Pasuk, if you're going to follow the Midrash. Then the Midrashic or Gemara explanation on the, the other Pasuk, um, which is a lot closer to Pshat. Because, as we have already said, law implies that something exists, but in a weakened or flimsy form. Which, okay, we have ways to explain it. Either it's because Gasa Saruch uh, moved out, or because Hanufa itself is weak. It's just that Rashi would not use that explanation because he's already learned all of that information from the way the Pasuk is structured, switching from the plural to the singular mid-sentence. So what's Rashi doing for us? He's saying, I don't see a way that you could explain these other Pesukim along the lines of how we've done so in this Pasuk. But the issue is, the one in Rus is more glaring, so I mention it first. And the other one you could debate back and forth, and you've got to have a shtickle drosha to understand why I wouldn't use that pasuk. So I'll mention it next. Okay, it's all very interesting to us. Well, what does it teach us? So let's look at the rich insights of the wine of Torah that Rashi presents. In all three cases where the word law is written without the mapikei dot, 
The subject is about something which is, at some point in its history, not holy. In our parasha, it's clear. A city that belonged to the Amorim. So that's not a place of Kedusha. And was conquered then by a Jewish person. Who's Boyaz speaking to? Rus who came from Moyav, which is a place of impurity. And the Pasuk in Zechariah, Medaber Begasus Aruch V'chanuf HaShekel Shel Bovel is describing character traits of Bovel, which is also a place of impurity. So V'lochem, because we're dealing with a subject which is a subject of Tumah, Ksiv Lo L'olom In each of those cases, the law is a weak word. The Ram is to insinuate, Shal Metzius Dilom Azei Metzius Rofo, that we should know as a, as a, uh, um, an axiom that the existence of anything which is contrary to holiness is a flimsy, weak existence. Because only Kedusha is real and only Kedusha is permanent or eternal, actually. Whereas anything which is from the other side, the clipper reality, is not true cannot last, and, and therefore must eventually dissipate. That's why Rashi says, That's why Rashi says, I'm surprised, how would you explain these other two psukim? Rashi says, in our psukim, it makes perfect sense. We're talking about a man Going into a city that is a city of impurity and conquering it. That's iskafia, where you overwhelm the negative with positive energy. But it's you don't transform it to become holy. You capture it. So there, the word law without the mapikhe dot is perfect. It implies that it's still there, just weaker, but it hasn't been transformed. So the, the place is still a place of impurity. It's just under the control of a Jewish person, somebody who has Kedusha in their life, but it hasn't transformed into Kedusha. But in the other two Psukim, both of those psukim describe a very different outcome where something that was originally impure is totally transformed to purity, to holiness. The most obvious is Rusam Moyavia. And he's Gaira. She started off in Moyav, but then she was Megaira. And she then climbed to the highest levels of holiness, to the point that Boyaz describes that she is like Sarif Karachonle. And likewise, when we talk about building the house in Bovel, the so-called falsehood that we're describing over here about Bovel is not just the fact that the civilization of Bovel has this fundamental problem with integrity. Actually, in a more deep spiritual manner, the so-called falsehood of Bavel talks about the fact that when you learn Talmud Bavli, it's not immediately apparent what the truth is. You have to work through Shaklavataria, all the back and forth and the argument and the questions and counter-questions, proofs and counter-proofs. As it says in Chassidus. 
that's where the 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 Torah has gone through a process, even into the world of darkness, even into the world of falsehood. And specifically through as the Pasuk says, that Hashem placed me in darkness, which is that is a reference to Talmud Babli, where the experience is that you are in the dark when you're learning. Until you reach the point that you've clarified what the Gemara is saying, you're in the dark. The Pasuk alludes that out of the difficulties and challenges and darkness above, we build a house which is the highest expression and experience of Torah learning, the permanence of Torah, the integrity of Torah, the trustworthiness of Torah. In other words, in simple English, where do you get the most enduring Torah? Through the battle of learning Gemara. Because both Psukim in Rus and in Zechariah are talking about a scenario where that which originally was something negative and impure had been completely transformed to become something which is holy. Then it would make no logical sense to say that the word law without a doubt implies weakness. Because whichever way you look at it, it wouldn't make sense. If you're trying to describe that the clipper is weak, it's not weak. It's completely eradicated. It no longer exists. And if you're saying law refers to the Kedusha, then then a Dafka should have had the mapic hay, the, the highlight, the emphasis, to emphasize how strong Kedusha is. In fact, where do you see the ultimate power of Kedusha? Dafka in the transformation of darkness into light, of Kripa into Kedusha, which of course is what we hope to, ha- to see and experience through the Gula, Amitis Vashlema, Yusuna, Or Abom, and Achoshech, that should have been taken from Yad Mamish.